Psalm 42. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before Him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? Let me pause there for a moment, because as I'm reading that, some of you are realizing that this too is what's known as, what I referred to two weeks ago this morning, as a messianic psalm. A psalm that talks about the coming of the Messiah. In fact, Psalm 42 is a messianic psalm that also has the overtones of the crucifixion in it. And that's why it says here, I thirst for God. The phrase we're going to look at from Jesus today that he said upon the cross is, I thirst. And so all Bible scholars recognize the connection between Jesus' words on the cross and Psalm 42. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before Him? Day and night I have only tears for my food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? The very thing that they were saying to Him as He hung upon the cross. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, and singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? But I will put my hope in God again. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. And we will stop there. I am, as you've already determined, going to continue on. Like I say, I wanted to continue on as if everything's normal. And I want to continue on in the series that we began um, two weeks ago this morning with the so-called seven sayings or the seven statements from the lips of Jesus as He hung upon the cross for about six hours on a Friday afternoon some 2,000 years ago. Seven statements of Jesus, each one that opens a door and or a window into the very heart of who Christ and who His Heavenly Father is. Two weeks ago we began on Communion Sunday with, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Last week while I was gone, Jim talked about the statement that Jesus made, Mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Thank you very much. Um, next week we're going to look at, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The week after that, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. On Palm Sunday we'll examine the little phrase, It is finished. And on Easter Sunday we will look at the words that Jesus spoke just before He died, when he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That's sixth statements. For the seventh, I'll read the text from the Gospel according to John today, beginning with verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill Scripture, he said, 
I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. We could stop there. I will go ahead and finish the paragraph and the thought, but I'm giving away one of the other seven statements that I said we were going to look at on Palm Sunday. For it continues from there, when Jesus had tasted this sour wine, then he said, it is finished. That's another statement that we will examine in the future. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. But I will reread then the, the, the text or the heart of what we're looking at today. Jesus, knowing that his mission was fulfilled and to accomplish everything that had been talked about in the Old Testament, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty or I thirst. Um, that's what we're going to look at today. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have gathered together here and we have now heard the gospel according to St. John today about the simple words that Jesus spoke about being thirsty. And I pray that those simple words will become sublime in our thinking as we cogitate upon them and try to dig out of them meaning for our lives today. And we thank you for this opportunity and ask your blessing upon your word in this way, in the name of Christ. Amen. I thirst, he said. I thirst. In one word, or in the original language, it's one word. Not even two, just one little phrase, one little sentence, but one power-packed and pregnant sentence there. Jesus, knowing that his mission had been fulfilled, and to fulfill all the scriptures, says, I am thirsty. There's a lot in there. It's a pregnant sentence, and has two very important truths that we can draw out of this very one sentence today that I think will be helpful and needful and will guide us in our days to come. Two very important truths that emerge from this statement. The first one has to do with the humanity of Jesus. With the humanity of Jesus. Note that John is the only one that records that Jesus said this phrase, one word, I thirst. John is the only one that records this. Apparently for the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it wasn't very memorable. But for John and for the church at large, it was very important for him to write down, I thirst. Let me tell you why that was. Because at that time, when John is writing his gospel, and keep in mind that John is the last gospel to be written down, and it was written down anywhere from 40 to maybe even stretch it out 50 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written down. And by that time, a new religion was beginning to exert its influence at the time, and it was known as Gnosticism. You who've taken Bible studies with me are familiar with Gnosticism. If you're not, um, let me tell you at least a couple things about Gnosticism that caused John to remember that it was important to write down that Jesus said, I thirst. And Gnosticism was a religion that, among many other things, um, held that um, anything that's spiritual, or spirit, I should say, spirit is good, anything that's matter, 
anything that we can take, touch, feel with our hands. In other words, you know what matter is. It's made up of protons and neutrons and electrons and leptons and quarks and all those little subatomic particles. Anything that's matter is evil. Spirit is good. Matter is evil. A couple conclusions followed then. God, who is spirit, is good. But God, they said, could never take on a human body because human body is made out of matter and it would therefore be evil. So then it followed that Jesus did not really have a real human body, but rather Gnosticism preached that Jesus was a phantom. That he was like a spirit that had a body and the only word they could come up with was phantom. We might think of it as a ghost, but they talked about Jesus as being a Phantom, and they said that, for example, when Jesus walked through the sand, his feet did not leave an impression of footprints because he didn't have any weight to him. He was just a phantom, you see. And it also then followed, and they taught that Jesus never really then experienced the horrors of the cross because he didn't really have a body that could therefore feel pain or any other human emotion. And so Gnosticism was rearing its ugly head at the time and influencing many Christian people. And was a fact, Christian history shows us that some people were drawing, drawn away from the faith that we hold true to be today as a result of the so-called Gnostics who preached this idea that Jesus didn't really die on the cross because he really didn't have a body. In this way, they thought they were honoring Christ. But the truth of the matter was they were denying Christ in a couple of important different ways. The first being his sacrifice for sin. If Jesus didn't have a body, then how could he die for humankind? If he's going to die for us, then he had to have a body. I turn to... Uh, my favorite, uh, Charles, or not Charles, William Barclay, William Barclay. Can I put in a plug for this guy? Um, he's been gone now for several years, but let's, let me put a plug in for him. If you want to buy one tool that's going to help you uh, in your Christian walk, something you can pick up on a daily basis and turn to, he wrote this devotional commentary series with you in mind. So that you could pick it up. In fact, it's called the Daily Study Bible Series. And just like the Daily Bread, you could pick it up and you can read it on a day-by-day -day basis going through any New Testament book in the Bible. This one is his second volume on the Gospel of John and contains 300 pages, and so it's quite detailed. But he's a wonderful commentator for helping you understand the historicity of the Bible, what's going on at the time, and then giving you a little application for today. Much like the daily bread, but much more depth. And I know that most of you are much deeper than what the daily bread has to offer. So I highly recommend this series that you can buy online. I would recommend getting one, and if you like it, just start to collect the whole series. Then you can say, I'm just like Pastor Randy, I got the whole series of the Barclay. <laughs> It'll be good for you. Barclay says this, if ever Jesus was to redeem man, he must become a man. 
He had to become what we are in order to make us what He is. Isn't that good? He had to become what we are in order to make us what He is. That is why John stresses the fact that Jesus felt thirst. He wished to show that He was really human and really underwent the agony of the cross. The Gnostics were trying to deny that to Jesus. They said that he really couldn't die on a cross because he didn't have a human body, and in that way they took away from his death and his whole, the whole thing about the forgiveness of sin. And the second thing he talked about, by the way, I might come back at the end of, that, at the end of this message and briefly illustrate that fact, the first thing about receiving Christ for forgiveness. The second thing they took away when they said he didn't have a body was his whole identification with you and I as it concerns both physical and emotional pain that all of us have from time to time. When the Gnostics, they took that away from Jesus when they claimed that he didn't have a real body, what they were doing was denying his identification with you and me in our trials and tribulations and pains. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment too. But for now, I want to say that this little verse where Jesus says, I thirst, not only speaks about his humanity, but I told you there's two things to be dug out of this whole verse here. And the other one has to do with the deity of Christ. Right in one sentence, the humanity with I thirst, but we dare not neglect what came before the phrase I thirst when he says that knowing that all things needed to be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And that's important to realize that it's talking about Jesus' divinity there. So in the first half of that verse, Jesus' divinity, the last half, his humanity. His divinity is in the phrase, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. I took some time to look this up for you. You'll be amazed at this. Knowing that all things had already been accomplished. What kind of things? I'm going to give them to you right now. You can get this on the web later on when this goes up on the web if you want to study this out. Psalm 41.9 says that he would be betrayed by a friend. Has that happened? He's been betrayed by a friend. Psalm 31.11 that his disciples would forsake him. Has that happened? It's happened. Psalm 35.11 says that he would be falsely accused. Has that happened? That's happened. Psalm 22:18 says his garments were gambled for. Has that happened? Of course it has. Isaiah 53:12 he was numbered with the transgressors. Psalm 22:16 his feet and his hands were pierced. Isaiah 53:12 he prayed for his enemies. Isaiah 53:9 he was proven guiltless. Isaiah 53:7 he was silent before his judges. Knowing that all these things had already been accomplished, John writes, and in order that the Scripture might be fulfilled, now what's he talking about? In order that the Scripture might be fulfilled, now he's talking about Psalm 69, another messianic psalm. Psalm 69, verse 2 says, He will sink in deep mire. We're safe in saying that. Verse 3, He will be hated without a cause. That is certainly true. Verse 7 of Psalm 69, He will bear the reproach and shame of many. I think so. Verse 11, He will cry out to God in distress. 
Next week we're going to look at, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so now to complete the picture, Psalm 69, 21, They offer me sour wine for my thirst. Knowing that everything had been fulfilled according to the Scriptures, Jesus now said to bring everything to a conclusion, the words, I thirst. How could he know all that? Because of what John's been saying throughout this gospel, that I and my Father are one and the same. Jesus for sure is God. It's the only way he could have all that stuff wired. This phrase, this one sentence, that knowing that all things had been accomplished, and in order to fulfill the scriptures, said, I thirst, highlights both the divinity and the humanity of Christ. And it was very important for John to say both of those things. So we sang, oh, what a mystery. Manhood and deity. Paul says in his letter to Timothy, great is the mystery of godliness in that God was made manifest in a human body. Oh, what a mystery, manhood and deity, human yet divine. As a man, he slept in the back of the boat. As a, as a divine being, he got up and he calmed the storm. Remember that? As a man, he wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. And as God, he raised him up from the dead. As a man, he died a terrible death, as we are looking into now in these Sundays mornings. But as a God, he was resurrected forever. He was both son of man and son of God. One unique individual possessing two natures. He was the God-man, Jesus Christ. This is what John is offering to us today, that Jesus was both human and divine at the same time. Now let me just say briefly, we don't have any trouble, most of us today, believing that Jesus was human. We don't have that problem. Our problem more today, it seems to me anyway, that our problem is more His divinity. Because when you start talking about the divinity of Christ that he was co-equal with, in fact, as Paul says to the Philippians that we open with today, that he was God, then that kind of maneuvers us into a corner and forces us into making a choice that he either was who he said he was or he's suffering from delusions of grandeur. And if the latter is true, then what in the heck are we doing here? But if the former is true, then that's a game changer. Bow down and worship, for this is your God. <laughs> so the humanity and the divinity of Christ, that's what comes forward or comes to the surface in today's seventh saying, seventh saying from the cross. So I want to just uh, briefly apply this to our lives today give it an application, and then I might have the final word if we have time. As far as the application of this passage goes, though it might seem at first glance that the divinity of Jesus um, gives us the idea that he is far removed from our human circumstances, the truth of the matter is Jesus identifies with our human sufferings. He identifies very uh, closely with us, as the scriptures say, he is acquainted with our feelings. In this phrase, I thirst, John is telling us that Jesus identifies with who we are. Jesus, in other words, knew what it was to thirst. He became hungry. The Gospels tell us for 40 days and 40 nights. He knew what it was to be hungry. 
He knew what it was to be sleepy and tired and exhausted. He knows what it's like when the alarm clock goes off in the morning. He knew what it was like to spring forward last Sunday. (laughs) Jesus knows what it's like when we cry out to God and tell Him, you know, Lord, there's just more things for me to do today than I have time to do in this coming 24 hours. The Bible says He sympathized. Well, the book of Hebrews actually says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same things that we do. He sympathizes with his people. This verse reminds us that Jesus knows what it's like. He's experienced everything that we've experienced. He knows what we're going through today. He knows the panic and the fear in some of our hearts as a result of what's happening in the world today with this coronavirus. What we're to draw out of this phrase, I thirst, is that Jesus knows what it's like. He understands what it's like. He's been through everything that we've been through and more. I mean, if you think about what Jesus endured as he was on the cross, not only the physical pain, but just as damaging the emotional pain that he suffered as he was giving his life for you and me, and the people were just taunting him and belittling him. And before he went to the cross, the slapping in the face and the hitting him with their fists, as we read in the Gospels. All I'm saying today is, well, I shouldn't say all. I'm reminding us of a very important truth, that Jesus knows what it's like. And I don't know about you, but somehow that helps me. It helps me to know that our Lord knows everything that we experience. That helps bring, brings me some comfort to know that. That what's happening today in the world, it's no surprise to Jesus. And he's experienced, he's ex, he too has experienced fear. I don't know if I want to stretch it out there and say he felt panic, but I was thinking about how he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he began to pray, and the scriptures say that he was so distraught as he was praying that his sweat became like great drops of blood. In other words, he was really, really emotionally strung out as a result of knowing what he was going to face when he was coming to grips with the cross. Jesus knows, and he understands. And the scriptures say, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for us. That's the invitation that we have today. We just sang it a while ago. In times such as these, my friends, cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. He cares for you. We come together today to bow down and worship a God who fills us with faith for times such as these. Do we not? That's why we gather together, to be filled with faith in the God who empathizes with us, who understands us, who sympathizes with us, and He fills us with faith. I was reading a cool story the other day that's told by Jill Briscoe. She's the wife of Stuart Briscoe, who's a somewhat famous pastor in the state of Wisconsin. 
He's an author, he's written several books. I've got a couple of his commentaries in my library at home. And Jill and Stuart Briscoe were originally from Scotland before they moved to Wisconsin. And Jill tells a story about a man that they knew in Wisconsin. And she talks about this man and his wife who had been praying for several years that she might be able to have a baby, but for several years she wasn't having a baby. Nevertheless, they continued to remain faithful and to pray for that to happen. And he worked in a very economically depressed area. It was an industrial plant that he worked in. This was probably back in the 1960s. And in this plant, there was a strongly communist-leading union. That was not uncommon in Scotland and in England back in the 1960s for a lot of the unions to have communist leanings. And he was a Christian man working in this communist-leaning plant and took a lot of abuse because he didn't hide his Christianity. And communists, most, most of them were atheists, made a lot of fun out of this guy, and he took a lot of abuse over time. Um, suddenly, his wife learned that she was pregnant, and he was overjoyed, and he couldn't wait to go to the plant and tell the other guys that they were going to have a baby. And he did, and they still made fun of him, but you know what? He was sky high because he was going to have a baby, and so you know nothing could per dissuade him from having a strong faith. And then the baby was born, and the baby was born mongoloid. And he is, and his wife were taken aback. And he began to wonder what he was going to tell the men down at work and how that was going to go. And he did tell them, and they began to taunt him with things like, are you going to continue to worship this God that you said loves you? One man said to him, I don't even believe in God, and I have five healthy children. Why would he do that to you? And they said, if this God really is a God of love, why would he allow something like that to happen in your life? And the man bowed his head, kind of just hung his head, at first in shame, because as he did so, he was thinking that their taunts were beginning to reflect some of his doubts about who God was, to be sure. And then as he stood there with his head bowed, he told Jill and Stuart Briscoe that he suddenly had a, a, a vision, or he saw Christ on the cross. He saw Jesus' empathy and understanding. He saw this phrase, I thirst, and it filled him up with faith. And he raised his head up again, and the workers noticed the countenance that came over him as he said, I am so glad, so very glad that God gave her to me and not to you guys. Yeah. And as he realized once again that Jesus went to the cross for him, and not only went to the cross, but knows our sense of feelings and sympathizes with us, he was once again filled with faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit was enabled to say to those guys, I'm so very glad that God gave her to me and not to you. And what I want to share with you today from this scripture text in Jesus simply saying, I thirst, he is trying to convey to you and I that he knows what we're going through and he's there with us.
been a trying time uh, for Gail and I recently because uh, Gail's been living with her mom, trying to help her recover from the situation she went through recently. And at the same time, um, I have my mom living with me uh, because of my sister and what she continues to do. And um, so we're both facing very, I mean, you guys face all this too, but we're going through it right now. And I happened to mention to my mom the other day, man, when it rains, it pours, doesn't it? Well, I actually told her that because she responded. She looked at me. She says, what's, what's going on? Why, you know, why you look so uh, stressed out? And I says, because I am stressed out, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> we got this going on, and Gail can't be here, and I miss her. And, and uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen to the church, and I'm fearful for the future, and I got all this going on, and it's stressing me out. I'm not sleeping well, and she blew me away. My mom is not a church-going person. She says, Randy, be of strong courage. Be of, do not fear and be of strong courage. Be not dismayed, for your God is with you. And she's quoting the King James. Your God is with you wherever thou goest. She said, I said, what did you say? And she just rattled that right off. I couldn't even say it just now. I said, where'd that come from? She says, oh, that's been deep within me a long time. You just didn't know it, did you? I said, no, I didn't know that. So then she says, you want another one? And I said, yeah. Because <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I've never seen this kind of thing out of my mother before. And she says, let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. For God has a place already prepared for you, and when everything's ready, he'll come back. She quoted John 14 from me that we were just got out of in the month of January. And I thought, Mom, thank you so much. We just need to remember those things in times such as these. So what is that verse in Joshua 1.9? Some of you probably had that memorized better than I just quoted it. Be of courage and good cheer, and be not dismayed, for your God goes with you wherever you go. Something like that. It's Joshua 1.9 if you want to look it up. So when Jesus said, I thirst, he's trying to let us know he knows. He's with us. He's with us today. And the last thing I would say about this verse, if I have time, and I think I'll just take it anyway. <laughs> Who knows, this might be the last time I have an opportunity to preach to you. You never know. You never know. Last thing, on a deeper level, um, Jesus is expressing in this verse a desire to be with God, so that, say the Bible commentators. He's expressing his own desires to be with God when he says, I thirst. Most of the Bible commentators will write that he's probably reflecting on Psalm 42 that we began with. That's another messianic psalm that says, I thirst for God, for the living God. I'm going through a tough time right now. It makes me want to thirst for God. And that just reminds you, and it reminds me, that if you're going through a tough time right now, and your soul has not been quenched by turning to Christ for faith, then today's the time to be reminded that Jesus is the ultimate thirst quencher. And I'll give you another story on that end, and then we'll be through. This is a story that Dr. Norman Vincent Peale tells. He was having lunch with a famous surgeon in New York City one day, and he asked him, what's the greatest operation that you ever performed? 
And this famous surgeon said to him, I don't know, it's the greatest operation I ever performed, but I'll tell you about the most meaningful operation I ever performed. He said it was on a sweet little girl, a 10-year-old girl. Um, she was only given a 10% chance of survival. At that time in my life, he told Dr. Peel, my life was in shambles. My marriage was falling apart. We had one son together. He's constantly in trouble with the law. Despite the fact that I could buy anything I want with the amount of money I'm making, I feel very unsatisfied, or I felt at that time, very unsatisfied with my life. There was something missing from my life. I didn't know what it was, but my life was completely empty. Just prior to giving this little girl anesthesia, she said a little prayer in a sweet voice, and this was her prayer. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless thy little lamb tonight. Through the darkness, be thou near me. Keep me safe till morning light. And dear God, she tacked on, please bless this doctor. And then she added, okay, I'm ready now. I'm not afraid because Jesus loves me. And he's right here with us, and he's going to bring us both through this today, she told that doctor. The doctor told Dr. Vincent Peale as they were having lunch that that little prayer brought tears to his eyes, and he had to feign washing his hands over again and was standing at the sink trying to recompose himself so he could go in and do the operation. And he said a little prayer himself, and he said to the Lord, Lord, I don't know if you know me or not, but if I had ever saved the life of anyone, please let me save the life of this little girl. And he says that miracle upon miracles, he operated and the little girl was saved. And he says, leaving that hospital later that night, I realized that she wasn't the one operated on so much as I was the one who was operated on. For that little girl taught me, if I turned to Jesus with true and discerning faith, that my life would be changed forever. And I did and my life hasn't been the same since. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me, and I will give him the kind of water that will spring up within that person wells of eternal life. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, Jesus is saying, come unto me. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this little phrase about Jesus and how he said, I thirst. And how such a little thing in the Bible can mean so much. And we thank you for what we've learned today about both the humanity and the deity of the Lord Jesus. And how although he is God, and it might at first glance seem to be that you're far removed. You're right here with us. You're in the midst of it. You understand everything that we're going through today. And you're right here with us. Fill us, Lord, with that kind of faith that helps us to prevail and to remain and rise above the circumstances that surround us. Help us this week to remember and to reflect upon the fact of this verse and what we've learned that it means to us today. Fill us with faith, Heavenly Father, and help us to um, live the kind of lives that Christ would have us to live, such that other people perhaps watching us might come to the place like that doctor did, that they too would thirst for the living God 
And if we have the chance to offer them Christ, then give us the chance and the courage to say a good word for who you are and what you mean to us. And we'll pray that the same comes true in that person's life too. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.